Whoa, hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the first day of summer, and it's Uticast episode 313. Joining us this week, first time guest, first time GFOP, uh, candidate for council, uh, Utica Common Council at Large, Sparkle Anthony is here joining us. Great conversation with her. Also this week, a lot of summertime conversation. First day of summer, we're going to talk about the top nine foods of summer. We'll talk about the return of Enchanted Forest history lessons, all of this, folks, and so much more as I prepare for my vacation, so you can prepare along with me. Welcome back, folks, to the Uticast. internal debate I have every week. You know, I have to keep this door open in the studio because the cat will scratch at the door if he comes mm-hmm. out and wants to escape. Then I got to get up and let him out. Mm. But otherwise, uh, the door creaks because we're getting wind through here because it's about 90 degrees in the house and all the windows are open. It's actually not too bad in here. It's okay in here right now, which is why we need to go blasting through this podcast as fast as possible because it will get hot in here very quickly. Okay. Uh, but welcome back to the show, folks. It's the Uticast episode 313. Uh, joining us this week, uh, Councilwoman at Large candidate for the city of Utica, Sparkle Anthony. She is one of four people that Citizens Action New York, um, what's the word when they, when you promote somebody? If for, endorse. Endorse someone. There you go. Mm-hmm. I'm like forgetting my words. It's because the storm is coming. It's because the storm is coming. There's. Of the four people endorsed by Citizens Action New York, she was the only person we hadn't had on yet. So we were overdue having her on, and it was a great conversation. So very excited for you folks to hear uh, Sparkle Anthony. Great combo. I love to see all the action at the Common Council level. and Like more and more people getting involved and people mixing it up and people running for stuff and people just being like, why not me and getting out there. So yeah, uh, I don't know. Love to see it. Seems like it's a trend and some momentum is building. Well, her trend, if anything. That's a great point. Her story, you know, not to step on her story, she she talks a bit about how she was, I wasn't even voting, essentially, she mm-hmm. was saying, before mm-hmm. she got activated politically for the reasons she'll talk about in the podcast. And you can see it, it's never too late to do something new, yeah, yeah. do something different. If yeah. you haven't been involved, you never know what it's going to take that, like, well, sparks that that and moment. over the years of doing this show, we've talked to a lot of people who have been involved in the Common Council, whether on it or close to it. And there's a lot of people with that thing where they were just like, I decided... Why not me? You know what I mean? Why, Why not, not pay yeah. attention? Why not get involved? So, yeah, you love to see it. Yeah, so great conversation with Sparkle. We'll get to that in just a moment. Guys, it is a sweltering 79 degrees. At the... I don't think 79 is a swelter. I thought it was hotter it was than like that. like 82. So you said it, sweltering before you had I the said temp. sweltering I before said. I checked the temp, so it I is, think we uh, should remark on the fact that since we're recording right now and it's, what, 6.30? And in the last six minutes, it's gotten, like, black. pitch black Pitch black outside. outside. Wait, see? Look at the radar. Well, that's always the, my concern with a thunderstorm is that we're going to start recording this, and then the thunder's going to come in, we're going to lose power, and I'm going to be stuck with, like, in the middle of the show. No, I think we're live on battery for at least long enough to wrap it up. But the to record it. To record it. Yes. Right, yeah. but... Uh, if the, if the show is ever really late on some Monday to Tuesday or whatever, it's usually because it means the power went out, essentially, and I can't post the show to the internet. Because it's usually done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. 
speaking of which, guys, I went. Well, I gotta tell you the story. You were talking today about how like you're getting dressed and you were already sweaty. Yeah. I was. You ever see an episode of Friends where uh, where Ross gets the leather pants? No. You never. Kevin, you know what I'm talking about the episode of Friends where Ross buys the leather pants. Sure. And then he goes on the date. And he goes to the bathroom, and it's really hot. And when he takes the pants off, they shrink, and he can't get the pants back on. Mm. That's how I felt today. That's how sweaty it was today at the office when I was working. Like, I had the the, the, like the dress pants and the polo shirt, and I was, I was swimming in it. It was the worst, most uncomfortable feeling all day. Not a lot of options um, as a guy, generally in a professional setting, where you have to work somewhere where it's hot. Like, I remember times, you know, working... Working with Sarah and I could do different things. Honestly, even this weekend, like we played a wedding. And when we played the wedding, we were in a barn. It was a great venue. It was beautiful. Everything was really nice. But like we, you're wearing a suit because you're at a wedding and you got to be dressed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes when you're playing, weddings are in June and July. And there's not, you can't like wear shorts. There's no like dress you're going to just do. Yeah. So I sympathize with you. I know how it goes sweating it out in jeans on a hot day because you got to wear long pants. It's the first time I ever really understood. I was like looking at the women I work with. I was like, look at all these sundresses. They're probably so much more comfortable than I am. They're probably chilling. like chilling. It's, ba- it's basically like a nice looking robe. It's like a nice looking it's robe. Like a robe with a nice pad. Fitted robe. Oh my god. I think you got to be the. You have to just be the pioneer and yeah, just get like it. get the kilt or something. Be the Harry Styles of of the elementary yeah. school. Just start wearing like uh just like kilts and skirts and I don't know. I don't think I have the legs for it more than anything else. It's, I don't really have quite uh, <laughs> stick legs. It's a concern. It's a concern. Uh, quick shout out to all the fathers listening to the show or fathers uh, who, you know, fathers around the world who are enjoying Father's Day this weekend, who enjoyed Father's Day. Oh, damn door. I love Sweet. it. It's driving me nuts. I love it. Uh, Heather, what did you guys do for Zach for Father's Day this year? We went off the grid for a couple days in Lake Placid and went hiking. So that was, the, that was, I was curious. You texted me and said, you're like, I'm on the way back from Lake Placid. Yeah, it was great. We took cabs. We stayed in lean-to for a couple days. And we didn't know how hot it was here because we were by the lake the whole time. So it was beautiful there. And yeah, it was awesome. He had a good time. Uh, it's so funny. We did like the real basic Father's Day thing mm-hmm. over at my, 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 uh, my brother-in-law's house because he's been back home for the first time. And uh, we went out in the pool, which I was really enjoying. Mm-hmm. I got a sunburn. Nice. Uh, but I was thinking about it, right? My, my mom and stepdad got some land up there at their house, doing okay. I think it's outrageous that more people don't have pools. Like, my sister's got this pool at her house. Mm. I feel like if I had a pool, I would be using it Mm. All the time. Mm-mm. It's God. just maintaining that. Yeah, you're shaking your head. Disagree. That's the classic. That's the classic folly. The cl- that's how people get those pools. Like, you know what? If I had a pool, I would use that pool every day. And then, like, you realize, comes to have the pool, you're doing the maintenance, the upkeep, like keeping it clean, yeah. paying for it, all the extra fees. And a lot of times, you're just like, ah, oh, it's Wednesday. I'm tired. I was at work. I don't feel like going in the pool, changing, like cleaning like, waiting up, for doing the chemicals. all that. A lot of people think they're going to use the pool every day, but I don't know if you actually would. I'm not saying. And I say that as somebody who says. I say that as somebody who says, if I had a pool, I would use it every single day. I get it. (laughs) Well, I I think about it though. Like a lot of these, I just know a lot of older folks who are retired, who got like kids and grandkids, who got land. And I know that you can't use a pool here like six months out of the year, I suppose, right? Which is really, the, I guess really that's the kicker, right? Mm-hmm. You got to drain that thing. That's a pain in the ass. Yeah, whatever. it doesn't get any cheaper. That's more services you have to do. And like realistically, like if your mom had a pool at her house, she would, the grandkids would use it. But like also, I mean, maybe an above ground, what were you, digging a hole? <laughs> digging a hole. You're going to dig a hole? I'd dig a hole. I was always under the impression that the above ground pool is like 
you don't want that. You want the you want the in-ground. That's, that's I mean, if you could, if you could get the in-ground, if you, you would <laughs> certainly take the in-ground. Yeah. Uh, I did get sunburned while I was out there, mm. uh, which is always the worst because I'm always in the. I'm like, I'm only gonna be in the pool for like 40 minutes. That's enough. That's mm-hmm. enough, especially in a pool with that reflective water. Burned up pretty good. I was falling asleep last night because of it. Going to sleep real early. You don't get burned anymore. I mean, you're out in the woods too I much. Don't. Get burned that. I don't burn really. My yeah. son does a little bit, but I don't burn. Hmm. Uh, other than that, Father's Day was very nice. We grilled some chicken. I grilled. We had a new had a new grill. I had to help my brother-in-law put in. I got to tell you, I don't like being the guy in the grill. Oh, thunderstorm's coming. Heather's stressed I'm so out. So excited. She's so excited for the thunderstorm. You don't like being the guy in the grill? No. I oh, I don't, I don't like, like grilling either. No, it's too much pressure. That's what Zach says. I could it. be the guy in the grill, but. It's got to be like a good setup. I don't want to be the guy trying to make too much food happen on like a small grill mm-hmm. or an that uneven grill or something. But if you give me like a nice grill and some space to stretch out, I'm, I'm in there. I can see I can it. it. I can see that. You know what I think I need? Gotta have a plan. Oh, okay. I think I need a meat thermometer. Because I, 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 everybody needs yeah. a meat no, thermometer. No, yeah. Because that's, yeah, yeah. that's the thing that really gets me is like I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, these chicken thighs chicken look are the done, worst. Right? Mm-hmm. These, the worst to cook on there. Yeah, it's yeah. a pain in the ass. I'm sitting there, I'm like, I've either overcooked this or undercooked this. Yep. Spoiler, mm. it came out great. I was told Perfect. it was excellent. That's the nice thing about the chicken thigh. It's really hard to overcook a chicken thigh. Mm-hmm. Well, the breast is another one, though. Because the breast dries yeah. right out. you got to pound the breast. If you're not pounding the breast flat, no, you get is, it off your grill. We did full breast. So what we ended up having mm-hmm. to do is I threw that in um, real hot to sear it. On the skin, because the skin's still on there. I need the skin crispy. Then turn the heat down on half the grill, and we moved everything over to the non-heated mm-hmm. side and let the other side have the high heat. Yeah, yeah, Just left it in there for like 25 minutes, and then was checking it here and there. And that turned out pretty good. Mm. Uh, but man, a lot of pressure. I don't, I, yeah, I don't like it. Mm. If I had the meat thermometer, I would have felt better. But you did it. But you did. I did. So now, yeah, you, so you, so now you go back in this time with the meat thermometer. Plan. Every great player's got to win their first one. Uh, let's talk about summer vacation, folks, uh, and not just the fact that I work in education and uh, most of my kids have already uh, apparently checked out from, they're already on summer vacation. There's like a yeah. couple days left of school. You remember how it was. Yo, I was just talking about this today. I kind of feel bad for the virtual kids mm. who are not going to come to school the last day and do the whole last day of school ritual. They'll do it next Yeah. Because, like, that was always my favorite, like, thing when I was a little kid. Like, that, like, five seconds mm. after you run out of school and your last day, you're like, summertime is here. I'm throwing all my papers away. I'm backpacks in the garbage. Just, I'm never coming back to school mm. ever again. And I think that's, like, a funny moment when you're, like, a little kid. And I feel like what's the, the virtual version? Like, okay, bye. Log out from your computer mm. and then stay on your computer some more because that's probably what's going to happen. That's all, that's all these kids are doing anyway. I know, I know. No, it's not like they were going down to the soccer. I was sad the last day of school. Uh, I was usually pretty happy I by the last day of school, both as a student and an educator. I think by the, t- but you the get- last one, there's definitely some like bittersweetness. In like the I miss my friends thing then. It's yeah. over. Like when you're going on, you know you're not going to see some people anymore. I didn't have social media, so I had to like go bye. Mm. <laughs> that's true. It's the last time you. It's, so that's bye. a good point. Maybe you can get through on your landline, but that was it. <laughs> I had a flip phone with texting. It was red hot. Oh, nice. We didn't have that yet. That's yeah, true. <laughs> 25 cents of text. Or 10 cents of text. I was calling people's houses, talking to their parents, asking to speak to Yo, them. I was trying to think about the last. I was trying to think about the last time I had to talk Even to somebody. College, first year. That's a good skill, though. You have to learn. That's a good skill as a kid. I had to be familiar with how to like talk to the parents for a minute or yeah. two before yeah, like sure. making yeah. your way on to who you really want to talk to. You should be able to talk to anybody. 
you should be able to talk to anybody. Uh, but as I was saying, summer vacation, although most of my kids are already on summer vacation, I am actually on summer vacation next week. Nice. I'm leaving on Saturday, and I will be back the week after. Oh, where are you going? Oh, yeah. You didn't even know you are leaving. Well, we're, going, yeah. we're going out to Eagle Bay. We're doing a thing with all my oh, family. Oh, my kids here there. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing for podcast. You know I, what's nice? Though, I haven't even thought about it. That's like low key enough where Travel it's bag. like you. It's what, forty minutes? Not from bad. Your actual home? That's not bad. So I don't know what is the story for. Figure it out around. I mean, I'll be gone pretty much from Friday, so maybe I'll do something before this weekend and then just release it on Tuesday. I don't know. I'll figure something out. But I'll be on vacation, so I'll figure something out. A uh, couple things I wanted to talk about. While I'm on vacation, though, Eagle Bay things. For years, as the only single male with no children and a family vacation, my role has been to sleep wherever. Just sort of figure it out. That's you got true. A, you got a couch. You got a porch. Mm. You got somewhere on like a like a mattress that you can f- blow up mm. or like a a cot somewhere. <laughs> I got it. That's where I am the whole week. So I got to give my my parents credit. My stepdad and mom have really been campaigning hard for me to have my own room. <laughs> Because I'm an adult, apparently, right? They're like, he has to have a room. He can't sleep on the couch anymore. <laughs> I would have slept on the couch. Right. But I appreciate it, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I feel like it's a rough go. If you don't have kids and you're the single guy, you're sleeping on couches if you're going to family events. You're sleeping right. on the throwaway stuff. It's a tough get. Mm. I mean, like, uh, especially when the kids start showing up, nieces and nephews, they get their own room. Uh, and then the other one is, we normally rent a pontoon boat. Very common. When you're out there, you got to get a pontoon boat. got to be on the water. My brother-in-law, Randall, shout out to Randall, has been checking this out. And it feels like every pontoon boat is rented out. No oh, pond- yeah. It's, yeah. No, the Adirondacks are shot for the summer. Like, I was talking shot. to everybody that I know who is spends time up in Old Porridge or works up there, like different people, like, you know, in the beverage industry and the hospitality and stuff like that. And they said, you can't, literally can't find a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Like, there's absolutely no place. Everything is so deeply booked up up there. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, so, really, no pontoon boats to be had. So, my brother-in-law is asking me if I have the chops to man a regular boat on my own. Yeah. I think I do. Are you, like, five? <laughs> no, not but I'd yeah, say, not, not right. look, if it was I'm just kidding. me and the boys, I would say, heck yeah, sure. But, like, you know, kids yeah, and no, grandparents and such in the boat. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's a different thing. But it's been a long time since I've driven like a powerboat, speedboat, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, just you gotta do less. When do you're less. Out there. Don't try to do too much with it, right? Like when you're out there, don't try to go too hard. You're better off going a little less hard than a little too hard out there. And then later on, maybe go a little hard myself. Well, when you can get out there with like your brother-in-law and like yeah, your like, <laughs> nephews and nieces and stuff, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there you go. All sorts of stuff. Vacation next week. I don't exactly know what next week's show will look like. Maybe I'll come home on Monday and just do the show and then go back to vacation. It's that close. You very well could. I very well could. Uh, I don't have a ton of news for us this week because it's uh, it's the first day of summer which is today, guys. You know what? You're here. Summer is here. You can tell. That's why it's nice and hot. Nice and hot. Thunderstorm. So I pulled up something for us. This is from Thrillist. It is the greatest foods of summer. Ranked. It is the top nine greatest foods of summer, according mm. to the folks at Thrillist. Uh, from summer 2018. I couldn't find a more recent list. So, here we go. You guys want to ready for this? Yes. All right, number nine. Assorted melons. Cantaloupes, honeydews, melons of that variety. Any thoughts here? I like watermelon. Lots. 
I'm glad you said that. This does not include watermelons. Oh, it doesn't. This is specifically oh. no. cantaloupes and honeydews. No. No. No fan. You're not a fan. Mm-mm. I'm anti-cantaloupe, so I'm with you on this. I love cantaloupe. You like cantaloupe. I think cantaloupe is great. Honeydew is all right, but it's filler melon. It is filler Like, melon. You know, if you're bringing a fruit salad to a function yeah. to somewhere, honeydew is filler. Get an extra five bucks, put something else in there. Buy a pineapple. You know, cantaloupe... You don't need a bunch of... Like, when you go to get a grocery store fruit salad, mm-hmm. I don't need the, the drained out dry grocery yeah. store honeydew. Yeah. It's fine, but, like, it's low on the list. I love a cantaloupe. I do kind of like a cantaloupe now that I'm thinking about it. That's yeah, all, yeah, yeah. Cantaloupe's nice, all right. it up fresh in the yeah, summertime. sometimes it's okay. I feel like there's a... You gotta get a, it and cut you it, open. Get, yeah. And you can't let it sit. Like, you mm-hmm. gotta cut it open and eat it, yep. for the most part. It's a high ceiling, low floor melon. I feel like mm. a good cantaloupe is amazing, but a bad cantaloupe yep. is very bad. Okay. Very poor. Uh, number eight, corn specifically on the cob. I'll let you guys take a run yeah, on this. with lots of butter. Lots and lots of butter. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a little down on corn on the cob. I have been for oh. years. But what I do sort of like now is to take the corn and cut it into small corn on the cobs. You make a little short piece. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's only like okay. two inches long. Yeah. I feel like a, a whole corn on the cob, you're asking a lot. It's kind of a mess. Mm. Get all over yourself. I don't know. Yeah, the short, the short grab of corn, like the uh, the seafood boil style, where they seafood boil. cut it to yeah, like yeah. a three-inch yep. size. That's what I'm talking about. But yeah, definitely. About. A lot of butter, a little salt and pepper, um, little, anything you got, really. What are your thoughts on corn off the cob? Love it. Yeah, corn, it's Corn is excellent. Corn is a top tier. I like corn. I like corn out of a can, happily. Mm-hmm. I like corn. But I feel like I'm, I'd prefer the cob as opposed to off the cob and specifically to creamed. I might cut oh, a, cream corn? It's a consistency thing. It, it tastes fine. I might cut it off a cob. Cut it I'm off at, the cob. I've been at like uh, I've been at weddings mm-hmm. where they're doing like barbecue style, so they've got like corn on the cob there. They've got a barbecue caterer. Like I'm at a wedding, I'm dressed. I'm like, if I eat this corn on the cob, it's gonna be stuck in my teeth. It's gonna be all over. I'll be like, let me just get it a slice mm-hmm. off and just eat it with my chicken or pork or whatever like that. I'll cut it off sometimes. It's not a bad idea actually. All right, corn specifically on the cob number eight, number seven, the clam bake. Miss me. No, no clam bake for you? I've only had clams once or twice in my life. I'm not a huge it's seafood a guy. I'm sure I'd like them, but like, nah. I don't know just, if It I... doesn't mean anything to me at all, like when I think about summer food or anything. I gotta be honest, I love seafood, but the idea of the words clam bake doesn't mean anything to me. Like, if you're making clams, you're making clams. If you're making shrimp, you're making shrimp. I don't know anyone I've ever go to who's like, oh, I'm making a whole mess of stuff together. Mm. A big old pile of shrimp and clams and mussels. I'm here for it, mind you. Mm-hmm. But I feel like every time I've ever had clams, it's always specifically we're steaming clams, and that's like the main event item of the night. We're melting right. butter and steaming clams. Number six, this feels like a cheat. Anything with fresh tomatoes. They're talking yeah. about like caprese salad. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom made a phenomenal tomato cucumber salad, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite things in the whole world. Mm. Tomato cucumber, little red onion. You love a tomato cucumber salad. Oh, my favorite. My favorite. I think people sleep on cucumbers. Mm. And people were down on cucumbers. Cucumbers are, are plummeting through the ranks for me. Cucumbers taste like honeydew. Is that... <laughs> no, you know what cucumbers actually taste no, like? They, they taste like the white rind and watermelon. They're all right, but people try to shove them in like it's the best vegetable invented. No. No, but they are good in salads and stuff, though. Mm. I love a cucumber in a salad. I love a fresh cucumber. You know what I could do without, though, is cucumber water. I feel like I like that. I, Ooh, that's, I actually it's... like it there. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like weird. I feel like that was okay for a while, but or then it was. If you ever get into uh, Hendrix gin and you see some yep. of Hendrix gin, yep. you yep. make a gin and tonic, but with mm-hmm. the cucumber slices instead of the lime, it's specifically made to go a little more with mm. that flavor profile. Mm. Maybe my favorite like summer cocktail if you find a place that has both. Number five on this list, 
The s'mores. We had those last night. S'mores. Two nights in a row. It's the only time I want them is in the summer, too. Mm-hmm. I'm an absolute uh, miss me on s'mores. Mm-hmm. No thank you. Mm. Absolute miss me. And it's only an anal retentive thing. They're an absolute mess. I've never once eaten a s'more where my hand or beard or face hasn't gotten chocolate or marshmallow over it's, I make it. It makes me uncomfortable. Not here for it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's a wow. weird Strong. take. I've heard s'mores. It's a weird take, I know. And the weird thing, I like marshmallow and mm. chocolate and graham cracker. Like, theoretically, I should mm. like this. I like a s'mores Pop-Tart. Too much pressure? It's a mess. Yeah. I would rather just eat a roasted marshmallow we than go a, through the process of, like, making the s'more. We do a s'mores dip, which is the chocolate on the bottom, mm. the marshmallows, mm. and you can dip the graham cracker. Now, that's more in my You can get a spoon, wheelhouse. and you can kind of, like, put it on there. Yeah, I'm here for that. Okay. Uh, we did a thing, this is funny actually, we did an experiment today with the kids in school where we made s'mores with aluminum foil, right? The idea was we, how would you set up your s'mores in the aluminum foil to, to cook them if you put them outside, right? Mm -hmm. And we all tried to do it and nobody's worked because it was not hot enough to melt marshmallow. Even if you, so what I did is I took the two graham crackers and laid them down flat on the aluminum foil. I put one marshmallow on one and the two pieces of chocolate on the other. And then I essentially made a tent out of the aluminum foil so as not to crush anything to build like a pocket of hot air and i left that outside for two hours the chocolate melted beautifully marshmallow didn't melt at all uh-huh. can't melt marshmallow in the sun is what i learned today yeah the heat I mean, of the sun you can't really melt marshmallow on a s'more you can soften it a little bit but it doesn't melt even when you like burn it on the outside, there's still a solid like mass yeah. a bit in the middle. It didn't even really soften as much as I would have expected. I would have thought it would have been softer, but there you go, s'mores. Uh, number four, lobster rolls. This feels yeah. like a very New England yeah. choice here. You don't like lobster roll? You're shaking your head. No. I had a lobster roll. I mean, it's I was nothing in... I crave for when summer comes. I think if you lived on like Cape Cod, like, in Cape Cod, like in Maine, Boston, somewhere out there. Uh, yeah, I like a lobster roll, but I don't live in a place where they're readily available, so I'll move right on. Oh, Number three, hot dog. The humble hot dog. The essential yum. summer stage. Yum, home. yum. Classic. I would say when I was a kid, I wanted only a hamburger or a sausage patty, and as I get older, I'm here for a hot dog ten times out of ten over a hamburger. Mm. At a, at a, not like out in public, but like at a grill or a barbecue. Mm-hmm. Always a hot dog. Faster, easier, carry it in one hand, bit less of a mess. I can eat more of them if I want to. I just like, I don't know, I feel like they're, it's good, it's good grilling food. Yeah. We make different condiments, but like chili, like, we oh, yeah, like, like gourmet hot dogs. Gourmet hot dogs. Yeah, we made a whole bunch of things last week. I would say, though, I'm less interested in a hot dog if you boil it in water, which Ugh. is people, people used to make. Do, do, do people do that? Do people do that No, if you do that, I mean, as a kid, yeah, I, I remember ours used to be boiled. Other than, like, those, like, those, like, that, like, cart style, where people just style some hot water boiling, but, like, no, you can't, if somebody is boiling hot dogs in their home, they'd call the police. <laughs> uh, number two, Italian ice. I mean, uh, sure. It feels Basically really ice cream. Feels really high on the list for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Italian ice mm-hmm. though. Do you have a particular flavor of Italian ice you prefer? The cherry. Cherry. Yep. I'm a lemon guy. I used to go to Tasty Cream in South Utica and get the lemon ice, which isn't essentially Italian ice, but it was very good. Mm. Have you got a thought, Italian ice? Uh it's fine. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's the same as, like, I, I really like sherbet, so I think Italian ice oh, mm. seems more like ice cream to me, because sherbet in my mind is kind of ice cream, so that's my preferred way to go. Here's so, my... yeah, anything like that, where it's, like, a little more, uh, I, I don't know what the right word is, but, like, it's got a little more, it's not as sweet and, cre- and yeah. as creamy, yeah. so to speak, more fruit-based. Here's a dumb question. Is there a difference between sherbet and sorbet? Those two different things? I think so. 
Those are two different I things. So. Yes, I think it's more of a natural fruit. More sorbet is sorbet. Is just... Sor- yeah, sorbet is basically just pureed fruit, like then frozen. Sherbet, maybe a little bit of honey or whatever. Like rainbow sherbet. Be... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Different kind of. I, I'm not. I can't explain the difference, but I huh. think there is a difference. Do some research in the break about what sherbet is and why it's not ice cream. I'm gonna there figure this out. Uh, all right, and number one, the watermelon. Of course. Uh, again, another one that I'm not totally, I don't really care all that much about. I don't dislike watermelon, don't get me wrong, but this doesn't, like, spark a ton of joy for me. Mm. I don't know. I started liking it more when I had my son, because he got into it, then I was eating it all the time. Now we're ordering, getting it weekly. I feel like it's another one where I'm caught up with the OCD angle of it, where it feels like watermelons are a mess. Oh, eat it with arugula and salad. What do you, I mean, depends. If you're trying to eat, like, a quarter of a watermelon, but, like, usually if it's just cut up, like, what kind of mess? Why what are you doing? What's, what, what, I'd like to see you eat some watermelon <laughs> right actually. I see you eat that in a s'more. No, it's just, it's so, but I think I think you hit on something, Heather. Watermelon is, becomes great with, uh, when you've got kids, it's fun, it's easy, you can give it to the kids, it's a little yep. messy, it's sweet, everybody likes it, it's fun to, like, spit the seeds at, like, your cousins and brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, it's 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 got to be number one on the list. Yeah, it makes a lot of Although sense. Although I am feeling a little left out in the Central New York region, they didn't put salt potatoes on here. Oh yeah, because I feel yep. like I'm going to assume that Thrillist is a bit northeast centric with all this like uh, clam bakes and lobster rolls and stuff showing up on here. Maybe uh, so. I think salt potatoes got to be real regional. You always get those at fairs, salt potatoes all the time. Is there any place else that does salt potatoes? Because Philadelphia does tomato like Syracuse, pie. It's like it's New York yeah. mostly, like upstate, like Western New York and. Central and the Southern Tier. Philadelphia does tomato pie, too, and they think they invented it, mm. which is very frustrating. Uh, so, guys, we spent so long on that. I'm not even getting to any of the stories. We're going to go right to this week's interview. We'll come back and do the stories after the interview, maybe, if we get that far. But we spent a lot of time on summer stuff. I like this. This was good. It is the first day of summer. It is the first day of summer, <laughs> and I'm going on vacation. Why not? Summer foods. Uh, for now, though, let's get to this week's interview. Uh she is the candidate for the at-large spot for this uh, for the Utica Common Council. Uh, Sparkle Anthony, it's her first time on the show, and uh, we had a great conversation. Wide-ranging conversation. Really, really enjoyed having her on, and uh, I don't think this will be the last time we have her on. So, uh, welcome on our first-time GFOP, Sparkle Anthony. Sorry, I didn't realize when I texted you this morning that it was going to be 90 degrees at this part of the day. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, my house and studio is not the warmest, so sorry, uh, not the coolest. So sorry about this. I do apologize. No worries. And I'm I'm happy we had we had a chance to get you on. You know, we we've been sort of texting back and forth for about a week now about this. And it wasn't until today that I sat down and I was looking at the the Citizens Action website mm-hmm. and I realized that you are of the four people who Citizens Action New York uh promoted for people they were sponsoring for uh for the community uh, sorry for the common council seats 
you were the only person who hasn't who isn't a regular guest on our show. Oh, so wow. I felt like I was behind the times in having you on the show. So I'm sorry it took us this long to get oh, you no here. <laughs> so everything is all new. You know, things are happening fast, and I'm happy to be here. Thanks for telling me to come. Well, it's our pleasure to have you, and I think that's really fascinating to our listeners because you even said it, it sort of happened really fast. And yes. I think the story is really fascinating, especially some of the quotes I hear, because I think it speaks to a lot of people in our generation mm-hmm. and how they came into politics in the first place, right? Before we get into all that, let's go back in time. Sparkle, <laughs> we're going to go all the way back in time, uh, and we're going to go back to your your history. Okay. Sparkle, what do you consider your hometown? Where were you born? Where were you raised? Brooklyn, New York. I Brooklyn. was raised in Canarsie, Brooklyn. Yes. yes. Born in Canarsie, <laughs> raised in Canarsie. All right. I moved, there. I moved out of there maybe in my... Early twenties. So I had you my were first son. you were in Brooklyn all the way until your early twenties. Yes. So you went through high school. High school. Awesome. Awesome. Elementary, junior high school, everything. Now this is really fascinating for me actually, uh, because this is the part of the interview where people are going to groan because they're sick of me talking about this. <laughs> I lived in Brooklyn for seven years when I was in college down there. So this is the part whenever anyone who lived in New York City or is from New York City, I'm like, hey, I've also been to New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I only experienced New York City as a 20-year-old college student going down there to get my bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine growing up in New York. Was it? Did you? Was it intense? Was the crowds? Was the the? That's a very good question. Well, I was born in Canarsie. They consider that to be the suburbs of Brooklyn yep. mm-hmm. for some mm-hmm. reason. Like, so I was born um, in the project called Brookline. But my mom we moved out when I was probably about nine or ten. She brought her home, which was about maybe four blocks away mm-hmm. from where we were born, and I never really experienced the crowd. I only experienced the crowd when I went to Manhattan mm-hmm. or got on the subway, but that was later on in my life. I, I didn't really, I was really sheltered, and really, I didn't, I wasn't around a lot of people unless my mom invited them over. Mm-hmm. Were you, were you the only child? No, I'm the only girl. I have five mm-hmm. siblings, five brothers, <laughs> and I'm the only girl. That was tough. See, I'm on the other side of this fence where I'm the only boy. There are two older sisters, and then I'm the youngest boy, and I feel like as a boy. I can get away with a lot more than my sisters could. <laughs> Did you feel like you were, you were more? They were stricter on you as a. I as think a, they were stricter on me because I had out of the five brothers, four yeah. of them are older than me, mm. and even a younger one were a little bit overprotective. They were all overprotective, mm. and I was, you know, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't spend the night out any place. I couldn't go to parties, yeah. anything like that. So, my mom was strict. She had every reason to be. Like I see the way the world is today. I don't mm-hmm. regret it. You know, it's it's really strange too because I I did grow up in Utica, in this era, and it is, my nieces and nephews would never be able to just do the stuff we did when I was growing up, where we would just be like, go ahead, we'll see you in like five hours, come back for dinner, if you're not home, I'll stand on the front porch and yell really loud until you hear me, right? (laughs) And it does feel like this generation, and I work in education and I see a lot of kids today, it feels like there's a little bit of that inability to like sort of make excitement for themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Like they, there's this, they're never bored. So they never know what to do when they get more. Right. <laughs> now, I got to ask you, you spent your early time in Brooklyn. Did you know that, like, New York City was a thing? Was it, like, the thing growing up that you were like, oh, we're going to go into the city once in a while? No, I didn't know. I have family that live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, really? So when I would visit with my mom, they were really excited about me being from New York City. They were really excited <laughs> for me from being from Brooklyn. they like, do you know Notorious B.I.G.? Do you know this celebrity? Do you know that celebrity? So I didn't realize that it was that popular only to people who didn't live there. I think I was in that era 
about 2006, 2005, or even 2007, people started, I guess I'll say it the way it was, hipsters like myself. White guys <laughs> with beards wearing V-neck t-shirts decided we all want to move to Brooklyn. This was a thing, right? And I don't think we understood what we were getting into, right? Like, I think people have this impression that Brooklyn is just like New York City, but right. smaller. But in reality, it feels like a different culture, a different world. I loved my time in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I thought it was... What part I, of Brooklyn were you in? So I was on the G train. So I was on the Metropol- uh, Bedford, Clinton, Bedford stop on the G train. Okay. Or Metro- is, it, is it Clinton Metropolitan? I forget the name. That of sounds it. like Clinton Hills or maybe Bedford Cyrus and It was. So it's interesting. It was definitely Bed-Stuy because we were right on the cusp of the Marcy Projects. But also, we were definitely in an area that was becoming gentrified very quickly. And it was something that I had not really noticed Mm -hmm. when I first moved to Brooklyn. Because we did the thing that most people who moved to Brooklyn do. We're like, oh, I want to move to Williamsburg because that's where all the hipsters live. (laughs) And we got to to Williamsburg and it was just rich parents. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, it was like people who wanted to move to Williamsburg were too late. Yes. So that's when you saw that sort of, that sort of spread out from all the people who moved to Williamsburg finding different areas. And I... And it made me sad because I watched this neighborhood over seven years. It was really diverse and really cool. Mm-hmm. And it opened up all these different businesses and different, you know, and, you know, there's bakeries and shops and bars and different places. And then within 10 years, people started moving out because the rent goes up so high. Yeah. All of a sudden, all these businesses that are successful, the city turns around on their lease and says, hey, you guys have been really successful here over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. We're going to raise your rent. And then they're like, well, I'm... I'm not going to stay here if that's the case. And it did feel like what was exciting when I first got down there to see like this really exciting neighborhood grow up was feeling like it was starting to, no one wanted to move there, yeah. live there. And, I, and I'm, I wonder if that happens in New York more regularly, if neighborhoods rotate more commonly, if people just They move. do rotate. When I first moved to Avenue L, we were the first black family on the yeah. block, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a whole bunch of Italians, and oh, yeah. <laughs> my mom had to come up to the school a lot, yeah. you know, we were being called niggers, we, yeah. you know, I remember one time I was in the second grade, and we had a dance, and we were mm-hmm. being flies, and we had to wear all black, mm-hmm. so one of the kids told me, well, you don't have to, you can come naked, because you're already all black, like, stuff like that, but I didn't know, I told my mom, but she was at the school a lot, advocating mm-hmm. on that racism, yeah. I had no clue, I didn't feel it, I still don't feel it today. Well, it's, it's interesting to me, too, because I feel like people think of New York City and Brooklyn and parts of, you know, these urban centers as, like, there's not as much racism here. It's more diverse. But you're saying you felt that even early yes, on. Yeah, early on. Until yeah. I got older, I understand what it was. But yeah. as a child, I didn't feel it, you know? Yeah, you know, and I, I think, you know, growing up here, you know, we I went to Proctor High School, which was, you know, the most diverse high school in the city, mm-hmm. right? And I think it gives you this impression that you are... Like, oh, no, I understand what people were going through because I have lots of friends who look different than me. And it wasn't until I started teaching that I really understood the difference between what kids were going through. It wasn't until I had to bring kids home to houses they didn't want to go back to, right? right? And I was like, oh, I never understood how different your life is than the rest mm-hmm. of the kids around us. And it, it gave me a new understanding. I wish a lot of people were able to see with these kids. So what are you teaching? Elementary? Well, so I used to work in high schools. I used to work in Proctor High School uh, for a program called the Young Scholars Program, which I've proudly talked about over the years. A Mm -hmm. a wonderful program that worked with uh, at-risk youths, really, really smart, uh, really high-performing, really highly diverse backgrounds, Mm -hmm. and really economically struggling kids. And that was, that was a great joy in a way that I didn't 
you don't always get from teaching because a lot of regular teaching is like I'm, an, I'm a history teacher so a lot of it's like guys you got to learn about the black plague mm-hmm. like i'm not i'm gonna you're, we're doing a bad job if you don't learn about the black plague right mm-hmm. but young scholars gave me the opportunity to work with kids at a personal level i learned about what they actually cared about what they liked what they wanted to do with their lives mm-hmm. what they were scared of what they were concerned about their issues and i would try my best to answer their questions and that's really fulfilling in a way that I don't know that normal teachers who are caught up with the bureaucracy of teaching get to experience. So well, it's really true. nice. But you see, a lot of these programs, I'm not going to say that this is one, but a lot of them are geared to academic success. Yeah. And not really, you know, a lot of children who have social issues or maybe can't mm-hmm. concentrate or have, you know, they're not academically inclined, but they might be creative, talented in oh, art yeah. or other things. They don't they don't have the same opportunities that the, the, the children at these programs get. You're absolutely right. And we've, even in the program, it's something we talked about. You know, we had said over the years, you know, we were happy to do this program, but we were only, we were funded by Utica College. Mm -hmm. And the amount of funding we get only allows us to, you know, for every eight kids who signed up to be in the program, we could take one, essentially. So for every kid that we could bring in, and we brought in as many kids as we, we could, there were so many more kids who could have benefited from the program. And I wish there was a way that we could have expanded out. And... I wish there were more opportunities like this. You know, mm-hmm. I see lots of opportunities in education that get kind of squandered because they're not accurately advertised to people or presented in a way that allows people to, to to jump on them. You know, not for nothing, most of my kids at Young Scholars, their parents didn't speak English. Mm-hmm. So it was a big process to make sure that they understood what we were sending home to them and what they were reading. And yeah. a lot of that is on the kids. You know, they're the only person who can help translate between their parents and the teachers. And that's, that's asking a lot of sixth and seventh grade kids who are just coming into their own personalities mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, wow, we got way off track on that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. uh, so I have to ask, you spent early, up in your early 20s, you went to high school in uh, downstate. What brought you upstate? Oh, it was my mom's passion in 2014. Oh, I'm so sorry. I couldn't that. handle the grief. So, you know, she always wanted me to move out of New York City. She felt like she didn't want her grandchildren to be raised in such a big city. Mm-hmm. She wanted them to have more space and opportunity. So I have a brother who lives here, but mm-hmm. I wanted to go to Rochester. That was mm-hmm. my goal. I have some artistic friends sure. and media and film and everything like that that lives in Rochester, but my gas ran out here in Utica. <laughs> so I said, all right, <laughs> I'll stay and see what's going on with that. But, you know, it was 2014. I've been living here ever since. So I, that's always fascinating to me because I think when you grow up in Utica, there is this, at least when I was growing up in Utica, most people are like, I can't wait to get out of Utica. Like, I can't wait to get out of college and go move away to a big city. And it wasn't until I came back to Utica, you know, after I'd spent my time, got my bachelor's degree and finished up my stuff in in New York that I started longing for a little bit of that quiet Mm -hmm. and that, you know, that space that I think feels lacking downstate. Like, you don't feel like you... I feel like I own things here, even though I don't even own this apartment, but I feel like I have more... (laughs) space to do things and closer to my family the pace of life is a little slower mm-hmm. did that appeal to you right off the bat or was that like a culture shock initially? no that was an appeal to me the only culture yeah. shock was things like skunks and um, <laughs> all different types of of um insects and birds and deer when i used to go to yeah. the park the yep. park like oh yeah those things used to terrify me but now i've adapted and you also you went to mvcc when you came here um not right away i think i went in 2015 a year later mm-hmm and I ended up graduating in 2017. And what was your uh, what did you go for? Media marketing and management. Nice. So media marketing and management. Yes. Very nice. <laughs> uh, and I love to talk about college stuff because I'm always fascinated because I've been to a million colleges at this point. Oh, wow. What was your plan 
with media marketing man like what did you initially think with that degree was the plan going forward? well so i have um some family members who are already into business mm-hmm. me myself i was going to be in business and was going to train my children to be into business so anybody that i knew and who i loved that was entering the business realm i wanted to be their marketer mm-hmm. i wanted to market for them because what i learned in um marketing was subliminal messages and emotional branding and I'm really good at that I'm really good at subliminally programming people places and things mm-hmm. it's a talent you know people look at being manipulative as a negative thing but I, I feel like it it's more of a strategy you know it's more of yeah, it's um, a phrasing really but it's yeah, a phrasing it's a phrasing so um, there's value in it yeah and for sure quality over quantity mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. those things like that you know so I, that was my vision to mm-hmm. help myself and people that I care about in the marketing realm because I know that naturally I'm good at um, mm-hmm. being able to supremely, um convince mm-hmm. something or someone to do things. Now, I have to ask you, we, I was talking about this with a friend of mine recently, and I was, you know, I, I think the world has kind of amped up its interest in politics in the last eight years. It feels like suddenly, I mean, even, even before that, I think going back to the first Obama term, suddenly... People who were interested in politics who were not, right? Just in general, this goes yes. across the board for a lot of people. <laughs> but I always go back to the first time as a kid that I was even aware of politics existing. It's probably the Gulf War that's going to date me in mm-hmm. terms of my age. But when I was old enough to realize that my parents were reading something in the paper that I didn't understand, right? Gulf War, things like that. For you, what was was there a moment when politics first like presented itself to you like when did politics uh, seem like the thing that you suddenly were like wait a second this that's is a really good relevant. question yeah that's a very good question so i'm not into politics per se i never liked politics i always sure. thought people in po- i always thought politicians were sellouts yeah i've heard that as they well. will <laughs> always do things you know but they would do everything to get you a vote but once they in, in there they, they they forget about the people they mm-hmm. don't do anything and i've seen it happen time and time and time again i looked at them as cheaters I didn't always think about them being cheaters like that until George Bush cheated his way into the White House, not once but twice in front of everyone. And then I stopped voting at that point because I couldn't wait to register to vote at 18 because it was a right that I found out that was denied from my ancestors. So I just wanted to, as an act of like, you know, to respect my ancestors, be able to exercise that right. But when that happened, I got discouraged. I said, you know what? My vote is not going to count. It's a waste of my time. What, this this man cheated blatantly in front of everyone and convinced everyone that he didn't. So I'm like, I'm not going to you know be a part of anything like that. So I stopped voting. Yeah. And so up until two years ago when I came and joined an organization called Citizen Action, the one you mentioned, and um, Christina, the lead organizer, organizer at the time, helped to see the importance of voting at least locally. Yeah. Because locally it's a little bit more challenging. To, they, you know, they still do things that are illegal and cheat, but not as often as they, I mean, they won't be able to get away with it as, as, as like the presidency as things like that. Well, I think too, we've talked about it on the podcast a lot over the years, interviewing local politicians. I feel like national politics is much more caught up in the, it's one side or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Locally, I feel like the difference between a Democrat and a Republican locally is a lot different than it is on a national level, mm-hmm. right? Like I know a lot of folks Locally, who even who were, I'm a I'm a registered Democrat, right? I've been a Democrat since I was old enough to vote because that's when we first, I was like in high school they had us do it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I know many people who work for the Republican Party, right? Who work for local, who are regular guys, normal guys who just have different opinions, primarily about taxes, right? right. 
Whereas I think on the national scale, you look and it feels like, how could these two parties ever, ever possibly agree on anything? It feels so far away. Whereas locally, I think your personality, your individual connections and your, the way you present yourself locally can go beyond almost the party in a way if you connect with people at a certain level. I agree. Yeah. Yes. Now, I have to, I want to talk about the Citizens United thing because it's a, it's a good place to start here. So as I've mentioned, uh, this was from May 20th, 2021, uh, Citizens Action of New York endorsed four candidates for Utica Common Council. Uh, RGOP's Katie Aiello, Celeste Friend, my neighbor, uh, Delvin Moody, and Sparkle. And this was the first time I, I really came across your, your, your campaign mm-hmm. and hearing about you. And uh, I did my research with Katie and my friends. To, uh-huh. they, they told me you were cool. <laughs> so. uh, but I want to I share this quote because I, I love it. And this is, uh, this is something that's on the website. Up until two years ago, I didn't vote for 18 years. I felt discouraged and helpless. I thought, why should I participate with a system that is broken? Why should I waste my time? Until I changed my way of thinking and realized with the help of people, I could help change what needs to be fixed. So now I'm running to bring the voice of the people to City Hall and to make this city work for me and for everyone who lives here. I love this quote. (laughs) I love everything about this quote. Because I think it really speaks to the way that people really get pulled into politics. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that when I was 18, the first time I went out and voted, I had any real concept for the people I was voting for. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. my parents like this guy. I'm a Democrat. I'm going to vote for this guy. And it isn't until something really sparks that, that, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, sparks that, I don't want to say excitement because that's the wrong thing, but sparks that action inside of you that really pulls people into politics. Uh You know, you know, people... Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly no Trump supporter. I never liked him. But you can argue he activated a lot of people politically. And if that was the, that was his biggest skill, was being able to activate people who felt like they were ignored by politics. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the way that we're going to have to reach out to people now, is how do we activate people who feel like this system does not work for them at all? By having conversations. Like this past Juneteenth, I registered eight, well, nine people to vote. And out of those nine people, eight of them would, felt like I did 18 years ago. Discouraged, didn't want to. So I'm able to just speak to them directly, you know, just the way they are because I was there. I am them. You know, I felt like them not that long ago. So just to tell them, not make any promises to them, but just explain to them where I am and what how I feel about it. And I know why you're discouraged and I know why you don't vote. I know why you never voted. I know why you don't haven't voted in years, so you know s- sign up right here and you and know let's get this party started. And I am curious because you said you 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 talked to a bunch of people. What did you what tended to get to people when you had that conversation? When they say I'm not interested in this, I don't I, I don't know how it's going to work for me. What do you tell them that makes them feel better about it? Well, I think they started to feel better just by looking at me. Yeah. You know, being able to look into my mm-hmm. eyes, see the transparency, see that I'm an African-American woman. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to them eye to eye. They, too, African-Americans. So they haven't seen that in Utica. They haven't seen anyone um, mm-hmm. took that stand. I was I was thanked from every single last one of them for running. You know, um, I think that's favorable for people who have have been marginalized, have been forgotten about, have been hushed, or even if they spoke up in the past and said anything, nothing changed. You know, that alone makes people feel like discouraged, make them feel like, why should I even try? So seeing me talking to me alone, I felt like gave them confidence. I was told that too, you know, wow, you're, you're African-American, 
You're running? Wow. So what's making you run? They asked me what's making me run. I told a little bit of people why I'm running and things like that. But I think just seeing me, someone that looks like them, someone that they can relate to. I think that's spot on. And you even talked about the Juneteenth celebration you attended. Yeah. That was this uh, Chancellor Park. Um, that was a wonderful celebration. I'm very proud. I've been a history teacher. I've studied history for many years. And I can tell you right now, this was the first year that anyone ever talked about this in schools. And I... You know, I know there's a big conversation in the world right now about like critical race theory and mm-hmm. what people are teaching in schools, but I find it, I struggle with it as a history teacher. I'm like, I don't understand how telling people what happened is controversial in any particular way, <laughs> right? Like, just talking about the things that happened isn't inherently controversial. It's just a lot of folks, white folks, are a little uncomfortable looking back at the past yeah. and taking responsibility in terms of like, this happened. Mm-hmm. Which is really all that we're asking white folks to do on that end. Like, take responsibility for being aware that this happened and not whitewashing it, burying your head in the sand. Well, you know, it. that's kind of heavy. And it's hard when you point your yeah. fingers at someone. It doesn't matter what um, color it's you tough. are or yeah. what um, ethnic group you are. So, so me, if you look at me, you think I'm African-American. I have a heritage, too. You know, I have mm-hmm. a culture. I'm African-American, but I'm also Haitian. Mm-hmm. Nigerian, Saudi Arabian, and Japanese, but mm-hmm. you can't get that just by looking at me. Right. So there's some um, culture shocks that, and some, um, I guess, some um, bondage that happened too. Like for example, my dad was telling me that yeah. um, my ancestors from Saudi Arabia came to Nigeria, and kind of put them in bondage and some type mm-hmm. of um, slavery as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't like telling people I'm from Saudi Arabia for that reason too. You know, so there's. It, it, it comes in every form and every culture. So I feel like today where we are, uh, t- just to be a part of a solution, you know, put our minds together and figure out how we can create a solution. And it's, it's heavy when someone, like I was saying about being Saudi Arabian, so it's heavy to even think about when you weren't there, what your ancestors did. So people today who are doing that and they don't want to help, that's them, but maybe their children or, you know, their grandchildren want to be a part of the solution. So I'm looking forward to the future because I have children and my children have friends and they have nieces and nephews and people are having grandchildren. And when you're talking to them and looking at them, mm-hmm. they are not feeling like the way that like 50 years ago felt. So I'm, I'm very futuristic and optimistic about the future and it being better with a solution and not necessarily blaming or because honestly, everyone could have played a part in our bondage. You know, I don't look at it like that. I look at it differently, you know. And it's true, you know, I think that that's another thing you see a lot of is people probably look at you and give a certain impression, right? Like, oh, African-American candidate appealing only to African-American, like, voters and stuff. But, like, even your story, you go much deeper in telling the background of where you're from, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not the same thing at all, certainly. Growing up around here, it's a very Italian community, Mm -hmm. right? I have an Italian last name. It was weird for students of mine as a, as a young teacher or friends of mine to realize that I'm actually Syrian. I'm Middle Eastern. Oh, now, wow. we're, not, we're not Muslim. We're Syrian Catholics, which is a whole other conversation that people aren't <laughs> totally familiar with. But I remember as a kid being sort of uncomfortable, especially like right around high school, 2011, like, you know, September 11th stuff. Mm-hmm. You were not telling people that you were Middle Eastern. Like, I'm Italian, that's it. Like, no one, no questions about it. <laughs> but it wasn't until I went to New York and I started seeing this wide, diverse culture culture groups everywhere where I was like, no, you know what? I, I embrace my Middle Eastern heritage. Yes. It makes me, it's a part of who I am. It builds mm-hmm. up a great background of our history. And I, I, I shouldn't be concerned about being honest about who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and this is from, you know, 
a white guy who's always sort of felt comfortable saying whatever I want, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's the that's the sad part about how white folks are in America. We can right. say whatever we want, but uh, but like I, that's got to be very strong to like take con- you know, take control of the narrative for yourself. Yes. Like, this is my story, and I'm going to share it with people and tell yeah. people the truth. Yeah, and and that's a part of the redemption song too. Yeah. I'll, I'll have it. So Saudi Arabian, you know, you I'm very spiritually inclined. I mm-hmm. consider it to be because I meditate and I fast and I do mm-hmm. things that I need to do to get connected. So when I meditate and I feel my ancestors from Saudi Arabia, I feel my ancestors, my grandmother, my mm-hmm. mother's side, also Irish. So whatever whatever they benefited of or whatever they did, they feel like they can come to me and channel with me to be that vessel now in current time. So, you know, they channel and I listen. You know, I change the channel. There's frequencies and all types of things when you're um, dealing with vibration and sound and wavelength and things like that. So... I'm happy to be a conduit. I'm happy that I'm here, you know, and things are things are going to be just fine. We just have to just, you know, it's a process. You know, we just have to start the healing process. But it's really what we really all need is a healing. I'll leave it at this because I've told the story a million times. Uh, one of my favorite things about working in Proctor High School and working with the high school kids was, especially this young scholars group, mm-hmm. we had kids from every background, Burmese, Asian, black, yes. white. Uh, all, tons and tons of every, every background you could imagine in the city has some representation That's Bosnian <laughs> and what I thought was so fascinating about it is when you have all these kids in the room together doing stuff you know what things they worry about? teenager stuff it has nothing to do with where they're from or what they look like or what they're wearing it's like did you watch Netflix That's are you right. on TikTok like those little cultural things are actually much, pull them so much closer together than the things that break yes. them apart and the more and more I see that when I look at my young kids and my high school kids, the more it does actually make me feel right. positive about where the future is heading. Right. We need to celebrate our diversity yeah. and celebrate it. That's and Utica is very diverse too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's so weird about Utica though too, because Utica is very diverse, but this county is so weird. Like you go outside of Utica <laughs> and it's not, and then certain parts it is. It's really all over the That's place in this true. county. Uh, so before we, I've kept you already a little longer than I told myself I was going to keep you. I'm so sorry that I feel like I hope you guys aren't running anywhere oh today. no no uh can Are we talk a little now? can we talk a little bit about rebuilding the village oh yes rebuilding the village Inc. Yes. so uh i was just from the website now i'll just quote this and i'll let you tell a little more for folks uh but rebuilding the village is committed to taking meaningful action that addresses the inequities that exist in many of the organizations and institutions here in the city of utica and are achieving this by addressing institutional and systematic racism, encouraging stronger civic participation by people of color and other historically marginalized groups. This is yes. from the website. <laughs> How did you uh, get involved in this initially? Oh, I was invited. I was invited to be a board member, and I, I, I felt really good about that mm. um, because I read that same mission, and yeah. I felt like, you know, okay, I can help with that. You know, that, that could be a, a part of what I'm doing. So generally I like to be the voice of the voiceless kind of like I was saying about my ancestors so it's like this unspoken to me Utica is like haunted like you can feel the energy like <laughs> yeah. it's just vibrations all around especially when it's like really foggy and horizon so these voices that never was able to articulate themselves always have something to say they've always wanted to speak never had the platform never had the opportunity so it's the same type of thing um, people who have been marginalized and people who have been left out of their conversations haven't been people who have just haven't you know just have been affected by being marginalized. They don't necessarily know the words to say to be able to express themselves fully. And I've been speaking to natives of Utica since you know I was born in Brooklyn. So to get a better sense of how Utica was, 
and how Utica can potentially still be. So talking to these people, the same thing, they have been discouraged. These are people of all ethnic backgrounds now. They all feel like they don't have a platform. They feel like even if they did have a platform, it's a joke to show up and speak because their voices won't actually be heard. Whatever they say um, won't be taken into consideration. So I feel like that can be a confidence issue and that could also be some type of issue where they got lost in translation. So I just feel like being able to use my words to speak on behalf of these people after speaking to someone on the side who may have a language barrier, who may not feel confident because they have an accent, or for someone who just haven't reached the education level, maybe they had to um, drop out of high school just to um, work or fend for a family member, or people who have been incarcerated, people who are, are away, or people who are mentally ill. They also have things that they want to see to be changed, but people won't listen to them because they already have this, um, I guess, this mark on them. You know, so people won't listen. So, you know, me going this route and doing things uniquely is to ultimately be the voice for the voiceless, for the people who have been lost and forgotten. So um, Rebuilding a Village gives me an opportunity to do that. But I focus with this organization, I focus with the youth. So I'm, I'm the program coordinator for the youth program. And all things youth is what I deal with <laughs> over at, at um, Rebuilding the Village. Because honestly, it's a quote by Frederick Douglass, it's easier to work with children to um, repair broken men. So that's oh, yeah. where I am with it. Like, you know, the, the youth is, is with, they're, they're, they're open, yeah. they're, they're resilient, they're looking for someone to listen to them. Yeah. But people have been told for generations, oh, be quiet, sit down, talk when you are talking to, but I don't believe that. I believe the children have the answer, they are born with the answer, but it's up to us to work with them and be balanced with them to, in order to move forward. And of course, for listeners, we are, we are talking with Sparkle Anthony. Uh, Sparkle, before we move on to some lighter stuff, some fun stuff here, <laughs> where can people reach out to you, uh, social media, if they want to get a hold of you, if they want to follow you along for this, this, this race? Okay, so um, on social media, Sparkle Anthony, Utica Comic Council at large. Mm-hmm. Very so, good. Um, and I'll do the links for all okay. our listeners as well on the, on the website. But. And um, for me directly, I offer my email, which is my first name and my last name, sparkleanthony mm-hmm. at gmail.com. And the reason why I won't offer my telephone number is because um, people, for some reason, don't understand um, boundaries. No, they do not. (laughs) So um, with email, I check it every other day, and then I'll be able to answer one individually. Mm -hmm. And then also, I seem like I write better. I express myself with writing better than I do speaking. It's funny. I felt bad, actually, today because I was in the car when you were texting me on the way here. And I, I bought, you know, not to be a bougie guy, I bought... Like an Apple Watch, because I was like, I'm, I'm going to buy something nice for myself for once. And one of the things you do, you can, like, talk into your... If I'm driving in the car and I don't want to take my phone, I'm like, oh, I'm talking my watch, like I'm Inspector mm-hmm. Gadget. But you have to be real specific when you mm-hmm. do it. Like, you have to put in all the periods and all the spaces yeah. and say it out loud. So I feel like I sent you a text message. It was, like, one long run-on sentence. It was like, hi, how's everything going? We'll be here in 15, 20 minutes. Everything's a great bye. I was like, oh, I should have been... Should have been better about this. Um, uh, Sparkle, it's a it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we have five or six lightning round questions that we ask everybody who's been on the show. Before we do that, though, I like to examine uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Are you giving up sugar? Are you quitting sugar? I saw you posting something about well, this. Well, yes, I, I don't I don't use added sugar. So sure. any anything that's made, like I I'll have herbal tea, for example. Mm-hmm. I won't add any honey or sugar to that. And um, sugar, people think that drugs are the number one addiction. Oh my sugar God. is the number one addiction 
in this whole world and it's the leading cause of disease and things like that. So for my health, um, I would like to leave by example and just not add sugar or take any artificial sugar. So if I'm eating fruit, I don't put anything else on it. Certain fruits I stay away from Mm. because they're sweeter than other fruits. You know, I try to tend towards the berry side of things. I have to admit one of my my deepest darkest obsessions over the years like the in the pit of my soul is i love a big giant coca-cola full of like <laughs> full to the brim of ice and that's been a real tough one i've been trying to like i've been doing like the health thing for about a month now i'm going to the gym trying to mm-hmm. cut down on like my you know just i eat snack a lot i can't right. help it i right. it's i get home from school i haven't eaten all day i'm tired <laughs> then it's like nine o'clock at night i'm like i haven't eaten since five and right eat a whole pizza uh but um yeah, the, sh- the the soda one is one that I've really over the years been like. Yeah. There's no benefit for me. There's no. It's it's bad for my teeth. It's bad for my gut. But I just like the taste of it. I'm struggling. Yes. That's my biggest one that I'm. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that you struggled a little bit to get rid of? Yes, sugar. Just in general. Oh yeah. Cake, cakes, mostly like cakes and donuts and Don- pies, yeah. anything <laughs> pastries, things like that. Pastries tough. Yeah. Uh, especially with like all the good pastry places around here. Uh, <laughs> all right, Sparkle. These are the same. Five or six questions we ask everybody who has been on the podcast since the beginning of the show. Uh, the first one, and you may have already mentioned it, how do you, Sparkle, when you wake up in the morning, take your coffee? Okay, I don't drink coffee. I'm a tea drinker. Tea person. Were you a always tea a tea person? Or did you have yes, to? Yes, I was always yeah. a tea person. I don't like the taste of coffee. I love the smell of coffee. And then mm-hmm. I'll drink coffee once in a blue moon if I'm driving someplace far and I need it to you know, keep me up. It works very well for that. you know. But that's once in a blue moon. It's funny, I, when I was, t- you're talking about the, the sugar thing, when I was in high school, or I'm sorry, when I was at MVCC, I took chemical dependencies there, and they talked about caffeine as, like, the number one abused substance wow. in the, like, people, because you don't think about it, people were just like, oh, I had, like, seven cups of coffee today, I'm like, I'm just wild. Uh, all right, what was your first automobile, your very first oh, automobile? Oh, it was a, a, a RX 300 Lexus, yes. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Uh, I was gifted that by my children's father. Lexus is fly, though. It's a good yeah. car. It's a good car. Uh, you may or may not have taken your uh, your RX 300 Lexus to see it. What was your first live music event? Oh, it was Kem. K-E-M. Um, I went to go see him at Madison Square Garden. I was in my early 30s. Oh, wow. My first concert. For folks who've never gone to a Madison Square Garden concert, I've been lucky enough to see a couple shows there. It's awesome yes. it's, a, it's an amazing <laughs> show uh i wish i remembered more of the show i was there for but it was quite the yeah. show of the parts that i remember um all right uh if you could have dinner with one person living or dead who is not your relative who would it be and why maya angelou maya angelou yes i used to dream about having tea with her and oprah and then when she <laughs> passed away i was really sad yeah Reason why is because she's a fellow poet. Mm-hmm. I've read all her poems awesome. and read all her books. And I just felt connected to her um, spiritually. So I just wanted to sit down with her and tell yeah. her how I interpret the way she was writing. So awesome. From one poet to another, I adore her. I admire her. I love creative writing, but poetry was the one where I like struck out. Like, over the years, I took creative writing. I loved writing <laughs> stories. But something about, they're like, can you condense this down to just like the, the prettiest <laughs> sentences you have? I'm like, I can't, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, give me a, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Oh, that's a good one. I am currently uh, watching right now um, The Upshaw. The oh. Upshaws on Netflix. Upshaws, all right. And um, 
I'm reading all things Stacey Abrams. Mm. Um, nice. <laughs> she's she's super cool. She's the coolest yes. lady. Every time I hear her talk, I'm like, oh, the best. Anything from her is what I'm reading right now. All different types of stuff. Awesome. All right, I have to take you out in the. This is a little bit more of a thinker, okay? You are the World Wrestling Federation Women's Heavyweight Champion. You are walking down to the ring. The crowd is chanting your name. They're cheering for you. What song is playing in the background as you make your way into the squared circle? Diana Ross, I am coming out. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and uh, last but not least, Sparkle, besides... Uh, besides community activism, besides politics, besides your family, besides uh, being involved in the community, give me one more thing that we don't know about that you are passionate about. I am a certified yoga instructor. I'm glad you brought this up because I had this <laughs> on my list of things to talk about. We haven't gotten there. Yes. How long have you been doing that? Um, I've been doing yoga for about 15 years, but I've mm. been an instructor for two. Really? My specialty is restorative yoga. Awesome. Helping to restore the heart, mind, and body and soul and um, do breath. Taking awesome. breaths is a, a really great way to, you know, restore, get oxygen to the brain and settle your soul. And then you can start over. You can take self-control just by taking a deep breath. It's funny, too, because yoga was one of those things I came to in college. Like, we were doing, like, one of those things for when I was at MB, actually, where they're like, you have to take some sort of gym course. And they're like, oh, take workout methods. Essentially, you do, like, two weeks of various different, like, Pilates and yoga and just try all these different things. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of stunned, because I was like a punk kid in my early 20s. I'm like, ah, yoga, I don't want to do this. I was stunned by how much I liked it and how m- much I carried on with it for the years afterwards. Like, oh, it wow. really was, I was like, oh, this makes sense to me. The the slowness of it, the the breathing, the, because I was like working out like a gym guy before that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm going to lift weights and run and blow my knees out. but. Right. Something about the the quietness of it, the solitude, the the mental aspect of it, I found very appealing. Yes. Yeah. The wellness and the um, what they call mindfulness, because yeah, yeah. people used to always tell me, "Sparkle, you need to meditate. You need to meditate." I never meditated until I started doing yoga. Yeah, and it's funny too because up until I started doing yoga, I couldn't understand what the point of meditating would be. Like, what am I going <laughs> to sit here and think about nothing? What's the, what am I doing? Exactly. Uh, Sparkle, this has been a real pleasure. Um, now, for the folks who are unaware of what goes on, what's next in the line for you? What comes next in the in the Common Council like uh, timeline for you guys? Uh, election November second. So you're no no primary stuff for you. Or no anything? primary, no. not this year. So it's just going to be a lot of canvassing, getting out. Um, people are going to see me a lot more in Utica. Um, awesome. Getting to know people, wanting to know what they think about mm-hmm. um, the issues and what. They want to see changed in Utica, most especially the youth. The youth are not yeah. able to vote yet, so I'm really interested mm-hmm. in where they will see the future of Utica because they are coming next. And that's honestly, as a history teacher, the only thing I can tell kids when they ask me, especially like older kids, when they ask me like politics questions, because if you start getting too political on one side or the other, you get parents yes. coming down the day and be like, <laughs> what did you tell my kid? But what I do, t- I had a kid, and I'll, I'll tell the story before we close up because I'm sure folks have heard it before. I had a... A girl I taught, and she was this brilliant girl. She was young, and she was very smart, and she was very well-to-do, and she was very religious. Mm. And she had so many friends, and all she was, you know, all these other kids in school. And she came to me one day, and she said, "I'm, I'm having a a problem. Can you can you help me out?" And I said, "Sure. What's going on?" She said, "You know, my religion says that I can't be friends with people who are gay, or I can't support people who are gay, but a lot of my friends." 
are openly gay. What do I do? And the best thing I could tell her, I was like, well, you're, you're 16 years old, 15 years old. Like at this moment you live in your parents' house. (laughs) There's only so much you can do, but what you can do is be aware that these issues affect you Mm -hmm. and take the next four years, five years as you're getting ready to become an adult and keep those issues in mind when you start doing things in your life. Like make those, make those issues part of your your campaign, your crusade, yes. right? Keep Don't forget the things that affect you emotionally because even if you feel like you can't do something now, it's giving you an inkling to what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And that's really the best I can tell some of these kids sometimes is yeah. if you feel strongly about something, it probably means that you want to do more and that it's inside you to care more about that. Keep that inside and remember it because the time is coming when you will have more of an active hand in what you choose to involve yourself in. Uh, Sparkle, I want to thank you for spending some time with us here today. I know it's very hot in the studio and it's, <laughs> it's been fine. very hot out there today. But we really look forward uh, to November 2nd, and I'm sure that all our listeners were very glad that you were uh, able to come spend some time with us today. It's a pleasure. And folks, we will be back to the show in just a Thunderstorm has started to peter out a little bit. Thank you once again to Sparkle Anthony. Great conversation. Heather, you're sad. Is the thunderstorm going yeah. away? You feel like you missed the whole thing. More. I think there's any more. We didn't get anything. We didn't no, really get. There was no like thunder. The... You can't call it thunderstorm. It was not thunder. Was a little, little bit. There was a little bit of lightning, but like some distant rumblings. Uh, let me see here. I'm gonna check what my space watch says. Uh, it says there's a 60% chance until eight o'clock. So we're maybe we're not done. Maybe we get some more. Who knows. You seem really disappointed. Though. I am. I'll be okay, though. Uh, by the way, I did some research during the break. Uh, sherbet is fruit-based ice cream made by mixing fu- uh, puree and flavorings with 2% or less of butterfat. Ice cream is a dairy-based product with cream. Sorbet is a fruit puree product. Okay. So there you go. There's your difference between sherbet and... Add butterfat to it? Is that what it said they added? To 2% sorbet? or less okay. of that. So very little dairy of any kind in it. All right, let's get to this week's history lessons. Uh, I think they're a little shorter than normal this week. Ooh, okay. On this day, 1611, Henry Hudson is set adrift by mutineers. Two years earlier, in 1609, Henry Hudson had sailed to the Americas to find a northwest passage to Asia after reportedly failing in his efforts to find a northeast ocean passage. Exploring the North American coast, he entered the present-day Chesapeake, Delaware, and New York bays, and then became the first European to ascend to what is now called the Hudson River. His voyage, which was financed by the Dutch, was the basis for Holland's later claim to the region. On his fourth expedition, financed by adventurers from England, which set out on April 17, 1610, while sailing back across the Atlantic, Hudson resumed his efforts to find the Northwest Passage. Between Greenland and Labrador, he entered the present-day Hudson Strait, and it reached the Hudson Bay. After three months of exploration, the ship he was on, the Discovery, was caught too far from the open ocean in the winter when the winter set in, and the men were forced to haul it ashore and set up camp in the wintertime. Lacking food or supplies, the expedition greatly suffered in the extreme cold. Many of the crew held Hudson responsible for their misfortune, saying it was his fault they didn't get out in time. And on June 22nd, 1611, with the coming of summer, they mutinied against him, setting himself, his teenage son, and seven supporters adrift in a small open boat. The Discovery later returned to England, and its crew was arrested for mutiny 
although Henry Hudson was never seen again. His discoveries gave England its claim to the rich Hudson Bay region. What a wild way to go. Mm-hmm. Mutinied, sent out in a boat, gone, gone forever. Aww. Tough way to go. Well, I mean, he seemed like a jerk, mm-hmm. from what it sounds like. <clears throat> so there you go. Henry Hudson on this day, 1611. On this day, 1950, England, known as the Kings of Football, suffered an unlikely loss to the good old U.S. of A. That's right. The greatest victory that Americans don't know about. Uh, England had boasted a record of 23 victories, four losses, three draws in the years since World War II ended. Uh, America, by contrast, had lost their last seven international matches, uh, and their team was hastily assembled just days before their match against England. By the time the team squared off, bookies had given the British team 3-1 to one odds to take the World Cup, compared to 500-1 to one for the Americans. They were terrible underdogs. Even the U.S. coach, Bill Jeffrey, told a British reporter, we have... No chance of winning this game. Uh, game began with U.S. in the defense. England assailed them with clear shots after another. Uh, however, as the game went on with 10 minutes to go in the first half, it was U.S. midfielder Walter Barr who centered a ball from 25 yards out and gave it to Joe Gordons, who scored with a wonderful header. You can look this up. You can't. It's from 1950. There's no video. Oh, okay. English England lashed back <laughs> with a battery of shots throughout the second half. Uh, but they were unable to score on the American goalkeeper. And in front of 30,000 Brazilians in the stands who went wild, the British lost and were, and were eliminated from the World Cup tournament. Appalled English fans could not fathom that Americans had beaten them at their own game. In the United States, meanwhile, the improbable win was barely noticed. There was only one American journalist who went to Brazil for the World Cup. Uh... The reason for this was that on June 29th, four days before the game, North Korea had crossed the 38th parallel into South Korea, and President Truman had ordered U.S. forces to intervene. So just six years after World War II, U.S. was on the brink of going back to war, totally covered this up in the headlines, and no one ever talked about it. To this day, maybe the greatest upset in American soccer history in 1950. Kevin, is that an exciting story? You care much about the American soccer team? What the... The, the winning, just like that they won on this date and the beating them, or the, the rest of it? Well, then, then winning, I'm sure you don't care about. <laughs> no, no, that's cool. I like that. I like the idea that, like, at some point in, you know, even back in 1950, like a nascent, you know, soccer is still not very much of a thing in this country. So no, it's crazy really. that back in 1950, they were able to put together a team and beat these. Yeah, oh, it was like something like that. Uh, all right. I'm, Heather, did you like that soccer story? Was it very exciting? No, you hated it. Good. Uh, on this day, 1997, uh, the Walt Disney Corporation ordered one of its subsidiary record labels to recall 100,000 already shipped copies of an album by their newly signed artists, the Insane Clown Posse, on the day of their planned release. The issue at hand? The graphic nature of the Detroit horrorcore rap duo's lyrics. Formed in Detroit in the early 1990s by MCs Violent J and Shaggy Too Dope, the Insane Clown Posse had built a strong enough grassroots following with their first two albums and their bloody special effects laden live show to have their contract purchased for $1 million by Hollywood Records, which was owned by Disney in 1997. Work began immediately on their next album, The Great Malenko. Uh, on June 24th, 1997, with 100,000 copies already shipped and 14,000 already sold, The Great Malenko album was poised to debut at number 63 on the U.S. Billboard charts, when corporate officials at Disney decided to cease production 
and begin an immediate recall of the album. The reason offered by Disney was reasonable enough. They deemed the lyrics to be inappropriately graphic. But the ICP and Hollywood Records thought there, uh, that there would be more to the recall. Just weeks earlier, a boycott of all Disney business had been threatened by the Southern Baptist Convention in protest of Disney World's gay days. And critics of Disney's move voiced strong suspicion that pressure from the Southern Baptist chapter was what encouraged Disney to crack down on this ICP album. So they think Disney didn't really care about this. So there you go. Who do you side on here, Disney or ICP? Uh, I mean, neither. God. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I mean, no, Disney certainly doesn't care unless it affects their bottom line and people complain. I don't yeah. think Disney has any moral ground to stand on. But, like, also, I know what ICP is. And I can yeah. see where if I'm a company like Disney, I might be like, hey, guys, this is just a bit much for us. You know what I mean? We're not really in the juggalo business. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, and you assume that Disney isn't necessarily like, hey, Hollywood Records... You know, you can't sign artists like this. Like, Hollywood Records probably doesn't know any better. Like, they, Disney isn't telling them who to not to sign as long as they're making money. Right, until it comes to their attention. Right. Like this, yeah. yeah. Did you know anybody who listened to the Insane Clown Posse, Heather? My babysitter. Your babysitter? Mm-hmm. Did they wear the mask when they came to, like... No, no. Are they the face I, paint? They allowed a, a juggalo to babysit you? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you ever have any Fago? Would you let a juggalo babysit Kaz? Um, I know. No one I'm not. No, we're not listen. But... We're not gonna. I, I shouldn't despair. There's a lot of nice people. I've read that the juggalos are mostly nice people. Generally, everybody. No, most only I watch Kaz. <laughs> so there you go. I couldn't name you one insane clowns and Polly song. No. Like, and I know a lot of music. Like I really, I, I swear to God, I couldn't. But actually, uh, you know what? They had a fan base, so good for them. And on this day, 2018, uh, a 25-year-old Thai soccer coach took his team, the Wild Boars, to explore a cave he'd visited before, intending to stay for just about an hour. But when a monsoon rain hit while they were underground, the cave's entrance flooded. The coach and the 12 players, ages 11 to 16, became trapped. And the team would remain stuck underground for more than two weeks. Uh, team brought only a rope, flashlight, and some batteries with no extra water or food. Uh, when we went in and got stuck in the cave at that moment, we saw water. It was full of water, the coach later told ABC News. I then volunteered to dive in to find out if we could get through or not. If I could get through, then, then everybody was saved, so use the rope that they brought with them. Unable to escape, the boys pulled their coach back, and weeks passed before they were discovered and reached by rescuers. Starving and quickly running out of oxygen, the team survived by drinking fresh water that dripped from a cave stalactite and repeated the mantra, Susu, tie for keep fighting, to remain calm. The boys' search and rescue stole the global spotlight as an international group of cave-digging experts led by Thai Navy SEALs raced to, ex- uh, to excavate them. British divers discovered the group about 2.5 miles inside the cave on July 2nd, 2018. In an extremely dangerous effort, all the boys and their coach were rescued between July 8th and 10th. A volunteer diver and former Thai Navy SEAL, uh, Saman Kunar, died on July 6th while he ran out of oxygen while attempting to rescue the boys uh, and deliver them oxygen tanks. I remember this story. Yeah, so do I. Very terrifying. uh, Really sad story. Let me ask you this, Heather. You were really concerned last week about the person who was eaten by the whale. Mm -hmm. What's the scarier story for you? Being stuck in the cave... Or being eaten by the whale. I think being stuck in a cave, I'm very claustrophobic. Well, claustrophobic, I would be in a whale too. But the idea of having to put a mask on and be underwater and have no control of what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. That was like a quick thing <laughs> that happened. This, they had to go a long way underwater, never doing sea dive, you know, like diving or using any of that type of equipment. I would be very scared doing that. Kevin, your thoughts, better or worse, the swallowed by whale or stuck in the cave? 
Uh, being stuck in the cave is worse. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't even think it's a, a question. I don't even think yeah. it's a comparison. But they're in this cave for like weeks. Yeah, they're not going to live. People, they don't know. A lot of people think the whale guy is like full of shit anyway. You know what yeah. I mean? But even is it true? He, yeah, nobody thinks he. No. Yeah, there's like everybody's like, like, I don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. Although all whale people are kind of like, and uh, scientists like, it doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. But no, but that's even still. What did that last for? Yeah. A minute, sixty seconds, yeah, ninety seconds, like... ten minutes, what thirty minutes? Even still, these people are down here for weeks and weeks. What? Like, the horror, horror comes from your brain. Mm-hmm. Like, fear is not a physical sensation. It can manifest physically if you're feeling fear, but fear is mental. That's in your brain. Two weeks to marinate on it in the dark. And they you, had to prepare them for the dark. Like, well, you're out here, like, practically thinking about if you have to, like, drink pee yep. or, like, yeah. drinking from a stalactite. Uh, yeah. no, that's, that's a the, billion times worse. Yeah, the two weeks thing is really what gets you, right? Like, the whale thing is scary in the moment. Or when you figure out what the hell just happened to you. Mm-hmm. But the minute you realize you're stuck in that cave, it just gets worse and worse as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Right? It's getting more and more stressful and more terrifying every moment it goes through. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. I think that's right. I think that's the right answer. All right. Try to pick some more enlightening or some more uplifting history lessons. Guys, the Enchanted Forest, Water Safari, where the fun stops at six. It's been nearly two years since they opened their gates, but this week they are back. They're open to the public. Guys, are you excited for the return of Enchanted Forest Water Safari? I personally don't like Enchanted Forest, but my son loves it. I feel like every time I go there, it's just it's gross. But he loves it. So yeah. I'm looking forward to taking him to the kids' part of it, but I do not. I think Enchanted Forest, sorry, it's gross there. Kevin, your thoughts? Um, I mean, no, I don't. I don't care because I don't have any kids. Like, That's we, true. You know, I'm, what am I going? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, they go, but like at a certain. I would rather you're right there next to the Fulton Chain Lakes. Like, I'd rather spend that money trying to be on the lake or something like that. Than, it's true. It's true. You know, just going on slides and doing all this and walking around, like walking on the pavement, like bare feet all day. Like, it's cool, but it's just not. It's not enough for me anymore. Yeah. Certainly, if I had kids, I would. It would be great. I would be a blast to go out there. My nieces and nephews get a little older. That would be great, and I'd be super into it, but no. I love the idea that the Enchanted Forest was, at one time, (laughs) not the water safari, but just the Enchanted Forest part, which feels very lackluster, if you think about it. Like, this was what all this was, right? Mm -hmm. Just like a little... classic. Well... It's that classic post-World War II, 1950s, 60s, roadside attraction type place. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing. Now, I do think the water safari is the show, right? That's what people are going there for now. Yeah. Right? Like, Yeah, it's a water park. And... And Heather, you were saying you think it, you feel like it feels a little gross in there, yeah. right? I'll say this. I've always said, agree with you. I've always been like, yeah, it feels a little gross in here. In the way, though, that I think that all water parks kind of feel a little gross, right? Like just, just all the barefoot people and towels and water, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. That being said, um, I've been to other theme parks that are like Enchanted Forest in different parts of, like, different states over time, like... The New Jersey Enchanted Forest, the Pennsylvania Enchanted Forest. We got pretty lucky. The Enchanted Forest we got is pretty nice mm. compared to some of the real garbage pail. Pretty spoiled as far as water parks. Yeah, go. yeah. I only went to Enchanted Forest. Yeah, I don't think I don't I don't think you would like any water parks. No. Like any water okay. park you went to, you'd be like, ah, you know what, this isn't for me. Okay. This is this is no thank you. My niece <laughs> and nephew are into the hotel that has the water park attached if they go out somewhere I'm talking uh, about. Yeah. yeah, kids. Kids yeah. Are, kids kids will swim at any time. Kids I, will swim any day, anytime, any place. If there's a pool, they're they want to go. Yep. The only reason I would go on a water slide now 
a water slide, not with a tube. I'm talking about an actual water slide where you sit down and like cross your arms and shit. Mm. Is to show my nephews that they shouldn't be afraid of the water slide. Okay. Like to prove them a lesson. Because honestly, I'm not interested in a water slide. It makes your shorts right up your ass. You hit the seams all the time. There's not enough water on it. You're going too fast. You're flying out. You smash into the water. It sucks. <laughs> it's not fun. That's not a good time. Give me a tube ride. Specifically, the lazy river. Yeah. Give me the lazy river. That's what I'm here for. Just floating around in a tube. That's what I'm here for all day. So yeah, I'm excited for Enchanted Forest. I think we're going to do it next week. Oh, there we'll you go. be doing it with Kaz for sure. Also like Calypso's Cove, which is somehow grosser, <laughs> but I like that too. Just arcade games and weird bumper boats that don't work. Good stuff. All right, let's see here, guys. Did you hear we're actually getting um, we're actually getting fireworks now? Oh, we are. Yeah, we I can have them. the Fourth of July. I've heard them. <laughs> Been hearing them every night. We've been hearing a lot of fireworks. Uh, fireworks celebration in honor of Fourth of July will happen in Utica this year. Uh, since the state lifted its COVID nineteen restrictions, limiting capacity and social distancing as of last Tuesday. Uh, Rob, uh, Mayor Rob Palmieri made the announcement this morning. Uh, from his boat? From his boat on the on the, on the channel. <laughs> the celebration will be held on July 5th from 7 to 10 p.m. It's Monday, July 5th, 7 to 10 p.m., Parker Park. What? It's got to be a scheduling issue. Why is it right? July 5th? Feels what, what do you mean a scheduling issue? Who's well, got the 4th to, of July? Well, someone got it. I think they have Towns next Yeah, year. Towns maybe. Mm-hmm. I think like they do... Do it where, maybe like, New Harford has a. It, maybe New Harford's got dibs on the fourth. Uh, what, what do you mean dibs? So they always they both have fireworks every year. New Harford I, and Utica, like they can't. I, be like we're stealing the fireworks. I saw GFOPs uh, Ken Smith and Ben Burnell having a discussion about this on Twitter, kind of trying to figure out why exactly Monday was the date. I don't know if anyone got an answer. Monday does feel weird, yeah, well, especially because they're going to give you that Monday off if for July fourth. Right? When you're working. Are they? Well, you're not. It's Sunday. You're, you're already off? off anyway. I would imagine if you aren't getting July 4th off and it falls on a Sunday, you'd probably get when that Monday off. Any businesses give you the next day off? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why you would. I don't know. That'd be cool. It'd be great. No, maybe, yeah, maybe like in like teacher land, but I don't yeah. think. Like, <laughs> Teacher's land, we're done. We're already finished. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah, way yeah, going yeah, out yeah, here, brother. Yeah, no, nobody's giving you July 5th off because they're feeling patriotic. No. That's such a pain. They would give you July 4th off if it fell on like a Wednesday. Yeah. But it does so you don't get that as like a no. tough. kick rocks. It's tough. I mean, there might there depends. Tough stuff depends what type of place you work, what type of things go on. There's like, all kinds of jobs, but yeah, like most no, most places will be, it'll be wide open. And then everyone's gonna have to get their kids. yeah. I don't. That's I, annoying. I would be I would be sorry. curious. I would be curious to know why they don't do the fourth. I mean, I'm oh. sure there must be a reason. Well, I don't know. It seems strange to me. And we'll go all the way to our wild animal story of the week. Uh, 28-year-old twins were swimming in Mexico when one of the twins, Melissa, was dragged underwater by a reptile. Uh, the sisters were in a lagoon when this happened. Uh, the other sister had to jump on top, Georgia was her name, and punch the crocodile until it released her sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess my question for you guys, do you think you have what it takes? Yep. To, I think, yep. Yep. You got what it takes? Sister, yep, we're yeah, in yeah. Yeah. 100%. What, what else are you going to do? No, you're right. I mean, like, in the moment. the rest of your life, knowing you sat there watching a crocodile eat your brother or sister? No. (laughs) There's an alligator over there. Gotta go. I'm going with him. (laughs) Yeah, super badass twin sister. Punched it repeatedly. Came back after, uh, as it came back about three times and tried to save her. So there you go. Fighting alligators while you're out in Mexico. It's a good sister. I'll say this. When I was in the pool, they had one of them alligator floats. You know what I'm talking about? When we were kids? Yeah. I couldn't get on it. What? I was too, I'm too awkward to get on top of the float. It didn't float right. I was mm. falling off the whole time. 
I was thinking to myself when I'm out there, I'm like, man, if this was a real alligator, it would have gotten me by now. I yeah. wouldn't have been able quick. to. I wouldn't have been able to wrestle my way off of it. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Heather, did you put your songs in for I your spot? I was five? doing that. That's why I was quiet a little bit. I know. You're putting your songs in. You, do, you don't have to put the songs in. You know that. Like I told you, you're, you're not obliged to but do But I it. have songs. I just didn't yeah. do it. Yeah. You I'm do. glad you did. No, you do have to. Heather, Ew. would you like to... <laughs> what? Heather, would you like to highlight any of your songs from this week to share with the, uh, our listeners? Um, I don't remember what I even put in there already. I can have them pulled up for you if you want. <laughs> no, I'm looking at it. Um, do you okay. want me to go? No, you go first. Let me just give me Kevin, do you want to go? I have some songs. Oh, no, you go. Please. All right, so because it's the first day of summer, I, of course, chose the classic summer anthem, Summer by Sum 41. A lot mm. of summer in there. There you go. Uh, I wanted to do some sort of punk rock song. That seemed like the one. And then also the song Interstate Love Song by uh, Stone Temple Pilots, mm-hmm. which I just feel like has been following me around all week. Oh, yeah? It's one of those things. I feel like I've heard it like three times this week. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that song's been chasing me around all week. So I feel like if I put it here, I can escape the, the hunt. So there you go. Kevin, any songs you want to highlight? Well, Heather, uh, no, I, I guess Heather's no, going. I, Heather's no, I, think, yeah. I think Heather's up. I'll go next. <laughs> um, I just found the song Stay Alive by Jose Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. It's on the MIDI. It's about skateboarder. I don't know, some, kind, some, some soundtrack. And then Streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen. Bruce. Mm. Yeah, it was a good. I like really quiet car ride music. A lot of people like to jam. I like to just oh, listen cool. to like quiet stuff when I'm on driving three hours. In classic, so. in classic Heather fashion, you didn't highlight the one artist that I liked on here, which is Hungry Face by Mogwai. Yeah, it's that's a great, a great song. song. Oh, man, that I like. It's a really great song. You're like, I'm ignoring right past that. Like, Kevin, no, I songs. didn't know that. Um, yeah, I when I was driving around earlier, uh, caught me by surprise because I was listening to uh, an Arctic Monkeys song because we were talking about like learning it for a certain party or something that somebody mm-hmm. requested. And I listened to that first album, and I forgot how much I love their first album. Um, it was the first yeah. song I heard by them, I Bet You Look Good on the Dance Floor. Yeah, it's a good one. On there, uh, man, some stuff you can only really do as a musician when you're like 18, 19. <laughs> like that album could never be made by people that are like in their 30s, like making it sound like that. Just get really yeah. like knocked me kind of flat when I was doing errands today, that whole album. Um, and since it is the first day of summer, I'm going to put something for the first day of summer on. I just don't know what it's going to be yet. Sure. But look for something towards the same vein of the Sum 41 pick and something like that, probably. Some windows down summertime music. Shout out to uh, Sparkle Anthony. Thank you for coming by, spending time with us today. It was a pleasure to have you on. You can follow uh, Heather Waz at Heather Waz. One, you can follow Kevin underscore Kevin Sullivan. You can follow me at SF Doom or just follow the show at Uticast. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher Podcasts, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, taking over the web. Uh, that's it. Sign our humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. Tape machines are rolling. I guess we'll be back sometime when I get back. I don't know. Sometime there'll be a show next week when I'm in the middle of my vacation. That's how much I love you guys. Uh, but we'll see. That's it. Take care, folks. Enjoy the summer. Summertime is here. Enjoy the heat and stay safe out there.